certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Today, the court heard of a chink in the UK chain. For a week, it was thought crucial DNA exhibits were missing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Day 50. Natalie, Tim and Alison with you. Now, this would have been a very nervous time. Yes, I would imagine it would be. Um, They hadn't done the testing and didn't know the results by this time on the fingernails, obviously. So they didn't um, really know what they had uh, at the time. But what they they did know is that it was a huge case in Western Australia that they'd been specifically asked to work on. um, And they were being brought in for their expertise and and professionalism. But um, as we heard today, for a week or there or thereabouts, um, some of the exhibits, and they turned out to be the, some of the crucial exhibits, the fingernail exhibits that had gone over, became separated from the whole package of material that went over to the UK. And then when some of that material was taken out of what FSS referred to as their dry storage, um, and there was confusion because some of the numbers on the bag weren't in the bag um, and so this is uh, AGM uh, 40, 46, 48 the fingernails um, but it turned out what had happened was when they were had been received in London the FSS operative there had taken it upon himself to separate them out between the ones that would go into dry storage and the ones that would go into cold storage they used a fridge and a freezer in London and then when they arrived in Birmingham that's where they were stored what some most were stored in the uh, the cold the, the dry storage but the fingernails went into cold storage and so there was a little bit of panic I think we can we can safely say that um, but then the operatives searched them out realized what had happened and they were there and so at the end of the day um, they were all all the exhibits were always in FSS's custody under lock and key secure um, and uh, present and then as we know after they were found, they were tested eventually, and uh, and the results were um, were what they were, um, as was relayed earlier in the week. So, although they couldn't find them for the week, at the end of the day, they hadn't gone walkabout. It's not like they had been taken to a place where they could have been tampered with or or touched in any way. Yeah, and we're going to be hearing a little bit more about that next week, I think, aren't we, with another maybe video link to the UK. Mm, yes, another late night sitting, to which we'll look forward shore to. Shore up something that she's already got. <laughs> Lots yeah. of late night yeah. sittings and, now. And, uh, to be fair to FSS, it it was because all their processes that they had put in place, the, um, the labelling, the couriers that they used, the numbering, um, that they were able to find them pretty rapidly after this slight um, communication breakdown emerged, um, which is why uh, today it was uh, it, it was a thing it was a thing yeah. and it was outlined very thoroughly yeah. um and it was 
not so much as a thing because Mr. Jovic didn't even want to cross-examine the witness about it because we heard all this through statements that were read in today. So obviously on the defence side, um, I'm sure they would have had a, had a close look at it. But at, at the end of the day, and today was day 50, at the end of this day, um, we didn't hear any more questioning about it because Mr. Jovic said he didn't need to... Uh, to ask any questions about it. It was very um, detailed, and I think oh, probably very. anybody that's touched any of this, from the mailroom to the receptionist to the courier, to the, it's all been documented and mm. itemised and checked, um, ticked off and signed off. Yeah, and as we've a true about, journey, as we talk about yes. in the true sense of the word. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's really like you've said many, many times. This is just showing the chain of possession mm. and mm. continuity. Yeah, continuity. The the C word. That's the key word, Nat. Um, and that's why we heard about all this stuff, and that's why we've been hearing about it all week. Because the prosecution are absolutely desperate to show that these fingernail exhibits were never out of anyone's sight, or no one, no one never knew where they were at any one point. Um, and if they didn't didn't know where they were, which we found out today, they didn't for a few days. Um, they were still secure um, and. Uh, unable to be tampered with or um, uh, contaminated in, in, in any way, really. Yeah. And even, as you probably talked about yesterday, as the judge is querying sometimes the relevance of, or duplication of documents, she's saying, I'm covering every base yeah, because right. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what's going to come up and being thrown at me. So that's what she's doing because sometimes he's saying, well, I've got already got copies of this and haven't I, this is another duplicate or triplicate, yeah, triplicate or whatever. Quadruplicate. She's saying, you're getting the whole lot <laughs> and we're getting the whole lot yeah, as well. Yeah, we are, yeah. And despite the detail, you were saying to me earlier, Ali, that um, people are still so incredibly engrossed in this trial and you even bumped into a couple of unexpected visitors in court this week. Yes, and they were the, um, well, one of them in particular, Dr John Sankin, who is a qualified psychiatrist, actually owned the two venues which were at the centre of all of this. That's Club Bayview and the Conti Hotel. He still owns, I understand, the one in St Quentin's Avenue. Mm. And he was there to see... Uh, what he'd been reading, he was trying to follow up and he was wanting to know whether um, a right-handed or a left-handed, I don't know why, what he was looking into that, but he was very, very interested. And he was talking too about the drop-off in business. He said the fear didn't really set in after the first two victims, but after Kira Glennon, he noticed a huge drop-off and everybody was really quite fearful about just being walking around the streets of Claremont, certainly getting into a taxi. So he's he's going to come back and have another look as well, along with another uh, prominent nightclub owner who um, was a, their a business was affected as well. And correct me if I'm right, didn't the owners of the hotel actually put up part of the reward or their own reward They did at, at one, one point, stage, yes. Which is obviously speaks volumes of how concerned and... They were. What they were about the community safety and being involved in the in the investigation. Well, it's thanks to them that the cameras were there that didn't need to be, and they were mainly there to protect their own interests, like brawls or overcrowding and and so forth. So the vision that we've seen um, has all been from their own personal security cameras mm. for the for the clubs. Well, there would have been nothing worse for them than to know that you know after these people who are visiting their clubs. Are disappearing exactly. Uh, that would have been a terrible thing. That would and have been. Uh, a, you, I mean, it's your worst nightmare as a yes, publican, isn't it? The, that's the, right. The, your, your safety and and happiness of your patrons are, are why you're in the business in the first place. And then if they 
um, start going missing, then uh, not only is it Dropping impact off, on yeah. business, but it's just uh, the, uh, the impact on the whole city. And we're still talking about it, you know, th- nearly 30 years later. So the impact on the city is still being felt. Yeah, a lot this of the, yeah. sense of, I mean, I wonder if there was almost this sense of responsibility mm. and and almost this guilt factor, which I'm sure lots of different people have felt in various different ways, whether it be a cabbie who didn't quite get there in time to pick someone up or what have you. Um, it would have been a terrible time for them. And, and I imagine they would still be grappling with that. Well, even so that he said a lot of the incidents that happen are, are when they've left the club, but they still hark back to the club yeah. where they were. Um, and, of course, these were after they'd left. And a recent one where a male was abducted, he said that just really threw back onto the club because it was where the guy was drugged. He said, no, it has been proven it's outside, but it's still a throwback. So he's just looking carefully. And as I said, he was involved and has been for the last very much so with the police. Yeah. We've had a few questions about how Edwards could be convicted of Sarah's murder given her body's never been discovered. And this is a very good question today in light of a a bombshell um, really today in a very high profile murder conviction in Perth, which was today quashed. Yeah, that's right, Nat. So um, we seem to be talking a lot about yeah. other cold cases this week. Yes. We raised Gerard Ross uh, yesterday. And this is uh, the case of Hayley Dodd, who was another young lady who disappeared um, and uh, her body has never been found, much like Sarah's. Um, there was a very high-profile trial in Western Australia over the last two years. Uh, there was a conviction in that, but today we learned through the Court of Appeal that that conviction was quashed and there will be a retrial. Um, but the relation to Claremont, obviously, is, as I've mentioned, Haley's body was never found and Sarah's body's never been found. And the it raises uh, an overarching question, I suppose, of the... The reliability and the possibility of convictions for murder when there's nobody to um, as evidence or, or ha- has been discovered, they are rare. They're not, but they're not unprecedented, as the as the Dodd case showed. Um, it is possible to get a conviction, but this one today has been overturned for for various reasons. Um, and the the question about Sarah's, we've we've covered it before, but it is still very interesting because. As, as long as this trial has gone on, you, you still don't feel you've heard that much about the case. Uh, well, they don't the, know the Sarah's crime. case yeah. in, in terms of yeah. her murder case because... No crime uh, scene. It, well, no crime scene at all. Nobody. No forensic evidence yeah. to, to, to go on. Um, and so, as we said right at the start of the podcast, Sarah's... Um, charge came later than Jane and Kira's so they were joined together um, it, it's obviously become three murder trials in one but the, the the evidence going towards Sarah's murder is obviously a, a lot less in scope and size than Kira's and Jane's because of the lack of forensic evidence um, so it's a purely circumstantial case and those circumstances include obviously the scream evidence that we heard the fact that Sarah went missing first but in very similar circumstances to Jane and Kira um, and uh, the, the the likelihood of one uh, a different person um, have co- having committed that crime as compared to Jane and Kira given all the similarities geographical and um, 
timeline, weekend, late at night, all those type of things. So it is an interesting question, and it's one that won't really come together until right at the end of the case when we close it, or when we, but Miss Barbara Gallo closes the prosecution case, and then she will revisit and reiterate and expand hugely on her opening, which basically said. What are the chances? What are the chances of a different person having committed this crime, Sarah's crime, um, given all the similarities? Now, obviously, none of them are proved yet. Um, they're all still allegations, but that is her reasoning as to why there could only be one person. And, and, and obviously, that was the premise that the police worked on for all, for all those years. We also do know um, from evidence for the last couple of days that there were a number of persons of interest in Claremont. Uh, that, that was revealed, mm. com- confirmed today, revealed in the documents. They had persons of interest, persons plural, and they had samples um, from those persons to take with them to the UK, particularly to compare the hairs. It was quite interesting. Right at the end of the day today, um, Justice Hall raised this question in, an, in a completely different context because some of the um, items of... Uh, evidence that were taken over to the UK were obviously listed alongside the Claremont items, but they those items had been redacted from the documents that were shown in open court yes. for various reasons. One, because there's nothing they're nothing to do with this case, so that the, the judge doesn't need to um, doesn't need to consider, consider them. Mm-hmm. And as we touched on yesterday, the police in the Ross case, which is an open, ongoing high-profile murder investigation in Western Australia uh, were and still are very sensitive about details of what they had have in in evidence getting out into the public for all the same reasons that we've talked about previously um, particularly with um, John Townsend a couple of weeks ago when he t- talked about you know you don't want to tip off potential suspects of, of what you've got but Justice Hall asked the question well is there any chance that those exhibits that went the 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 operation ambrose exhibits the ross exhibits which we now know they were went to the uk is there any chance that they played a part in any possible contamination with the claremont exhibits um and he asked that question to be sure in it and clear in his own mind that th- nothing is going to be made of that and mr jovich confirmed no there isn't but the interesting bit was for me anyway that justice hall didn't know what or said he didn't know what the other case was now i've reported on it quite extensively in the paper ali's reported on it other media have reported on it in perth for the last couple of days so that says to me that justice hall either mm. regards our reporting as just completely <laughs> insignificant which should be right which would probably be right <laughs> but i also um, sparked a little thought in my mind as whether he's deliberately avoiding media coverage of it now he's obviously aware of it because he's mentioned it numerous times and he knows the media interest obviously mm. because we keep applying for exhibits every day um, but it, it, it did it did spark a wonder in my mind of whether he's distancing himself from the the outside um, noise if you like the chatter um, and completely focusing as he obviously would but completely focusing on the evidence and nothing else uh, 
I'd be interested to know. I'll probably never find <laughs> out. But I might ask Damien. Might I, I might yeah. ask Damien next week whether, in his opinion, um, that is something he thinks a judge in such a such a big case would do, just to completely ensure that the, you know there's no outside influence other than the evidence. Well, I asked a policeman today who was sitting there. I said, "Well, why don't you just come out and say what the results of the Jared Ross? Um, because we did go into what." Well, there's a hair or something, but they didn't want us to go any further than that. No, well, it was. Me, I guess it was. Uh, it was up on the screen. We mm. did see you, it. You we did report it, yep. it um, initially, and then, as I mentioned yesterday, there was some um, gentle, friendly communication from with, within the police, further. saying, "Look, we <laughs> understand why you did it. We understand mm. that." It was up there. It's in the public domain. But if you wouldn't mind, it is an open investigation. Could you just be uh, uh, careful? And that's always, always happy to listen to the WA police force. I (laughs) never do anything to get myself on the wrong side of them. I mean, just when you were talking about Justice Hall there, and I was thinking, well, yes, is this a conscious and deliberate effort to stay away from all the noise surrounding the case? Or could it simply be that the workload is Mm. that extreme that he is sitting in a bubble? Mm. I don't think so. He's not sitting in a bubble in that way. Of course, he doesn't take any notice of media reports. He might glance at them and be aware of what we're reporting, but he's certainly... He can't, and he and he wouldn't. Um, but uh, I, I, mean, I think the I think the time factor would probably be right as well. Mm. That I mean, just, you know, we we sit ten till four fifteen. But I've seen Justice Hall arriving at court. He does read some articles though, because he was quite offended by one of them. It was in the West, wasn't it? Well, that's yeah. true. Yes, but they, we, won't, we won't go there. <laughs> but also um, to do. Um, Another thing too, no um, family have been there, but Bradley Edwards' parents mm. are there every day. Yes, they are, mm-hmm. and have been. Yep. They, they weren't Faithfully. there for the first week. I would, I would maybe say, um, and that was, you know, that was full on. That was that was the media circus in full effect. But since then, they have been there every day. Um, faithfully, um, s- still interacting, um, you know, him, non-verbally with mm, him mm. Um, in court, yeah. um, and they they eat their lunch at the cafe downstairs. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned the cafe. I'll give Les another shout out because he's been <laughs> such a support to us all. <laughs> to, to be fair, it's Les has said to me that they they seem just like um, an, a, another. Another couple just going yeah. through a horrible, horrible experience, yeah. um, as we've talked about um, so many times with um, with uh, members of the of the victims' families. I mean, you know, accused families sometimes get forgotten a little bit, I suppose, in the in the whole in the whole um, circus drama of it. But they would be going through a, a horrendous ordeal as well mm. as other members of Mr. Edwards's family. Obviously, what he's accused of is is heinous, and and but he is just accused of it. He's not been convicted of anything now, and obviously his, his mum and dad um, haven't been accused of anything, and and probably never will be. So, are they yeah. making um, small talk with others outside the court, or are they really sticking to themselves? They stick to themselves. Nobody approaches them. They, they have a sometimes. I think her sister was with them the other day, and maybe another member of the family. Mm. And yeah, they do have some some support supporters yeah. with them on some days, and some days mm. they just they're there together supporting each other. Mm. Um, but a lot don't uh, know who they are. As we they? talked about yesterday, I think everyone has tried to be as respectful as they can within the process. 
and oh, the members of the public, you've got to say, have been on their absolute best behaviour. There's only been a couple of little um, incidents outside the court, which is again sort of quite quite remarkable in itself, given the given the amount of people that have, that have come and and the uh, and the emotional um, uh, evidence that they've been listening to. This leads me to the many, many questions we get about the actual court process. And I imagine for some people that it sounds like it might be a little bit daunting, but it is a relatively straightforward process. And I might just get the two of you to talk us through how it works in a, in a very basic logistic sense from walking through the front door, you know, when you go through security, what happens there? Can you leave the court in the middle of a court sitting? Can you just talk us about to us about how we would get into the court and sit in there for a day? Yeah. Just well, it's, yeah. I mean, it is every courtroom, um, unless there's an express order by a judge or a magistrate, is open to the public. Anyone can go into any court they like as long as they're properly attired um, and respect the process. And uh, this trial, regardless of its size and sc- scope, is uh, like any other trial. So, um, the court itself is in the district court building on Hay Street in Perth, um, even though it is a Supreme Court hearing. That is purely for logistical purposes. The size of the court they needed for this s- scope, there was only one that was available or that could be used for this, and that's in the district court building. Um, trial proceedings start at 10 o'clock every morning, unless there's a delay or a late sitting, which we've had this week. They go till 1 o'clock. There's a break, mid-morning tea break at about 11.15, 11.30, lunch 1 till 2.15, and then back for another two hours in the afternoon, finishing around 4.15. Anyone can attend. Anyone can go. It's Court 72. It's on the top floor of the District Court building. But as I say, there's a few rules. Um, you've got to be properly attired. You've got to turn your phones off. No sunglasses on your head. No caps. Um, no note-taking. I don't think they can take no, notes. Yeah, that, well, that's correct. No mm. note-taking unless you're an accredited person or the media or you've been given prior permission. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of seating. There's, a, there's seats for up to about 80 people. Um, you can sit there. The, the screens are there so you can see the evidence. Um, you've obviously got to be quiet. You've obviously got to be respectful. Um, but uh, other than that, anyone, anyone, can, anyone can come. As Alison's mentioned, the, the the crowds, if you want to put it that way, have died down, so there's no problem with um, with seating. There was some overflow court um, facilities set up for the first couple of weeks, um, but they they've been um, they they won't be used now. I wouldn't have thought um, until maybe right at the end of the trial when it when it might get busy, and then certainly for the day of the verdict, um, that would be standing room only. I would have thought. Um, and, and there's obviously uh, groups of students coming in because this morning there was a, a quite a big group of students coming in. They stay maybe for half an hour or so and then quietly go out. Yeah, um, no metal objects in court. Um, you, get, you do have to go through a security scanner at the front of court for obvious reasons. Um, all the security staff are very friendly, very professional unless you do the right thing and then they can, um, they can flex a little bit. Um, and, uh, and then the media... Uh, benches the the two front rows that there's some um, reserved for families on both sides of victims and of mr edwards there's media rows at the at the front which are clearly marked um with uh, little desks so we can we can do our note taking um 
but uh, yeah, but other than that, anyone is 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 free to come. Even my mum paid a visit yesterday. Um, she was interested. <laughs> she hasn't seen much so of me in the last few weeks, so doing? she knew I'd be there. So uh, <laughs> so um, she'd never been in a courtroom before. So it was all a bit of a, an eye opener to her, um, as it has been to um, dozens and dozens, hundreds of people, I suppose, who probably never think they would step into a court. But this uh, this case has attracted interest like no other. It's a little bit concerning that when your mum wants to see you, she actually has to go to court to do that now. <laughs> well, I, was, I was very happy to see her, and we had a, we had a, a nice lunch. Thanks, Les. So uh, yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, it was. But I mean, you know, she she hears about it um, from various uh, from podcasts. things from podcasts and from phone calls. But she wanted to see for herself. So uh, so yeah, it was nice to see her. Is there any other rules that um, people need to follow? Do they need to bow to the judge when they step inside the yeah, courtroom? Yeah, there is a little bit of that. So you have to stand when the judge enters um, and there is a little bow um, just as a show of respect to the, to the court. Um, but it, it's not wigs. It's not, um, you know, there are gowns, but they're, you know, they're, they're not the, the, the huge red gowns that someone might. There's no gavel or anything like that. It's quite a modern, up-to-date process. We haven't had wigs in Western Australia for about 15 years now, um, Ali, I don't think. But, uh, but yeah, as, as Justice Hall said himself on the first day, um, this is a, it's a formal um, process. It's not a social process and so there that's are there are serious ser- yes that's yeah, quite I mean, yeah, I mean, you couldn't get more serious yeah. really than the uh, yeah. the allegations that are being heard that's right well as we mentioned yesterday if you are interested in following up on the jared ross case or if you're interested in reading more about the Haley dodd case that we've mentioned today you can find that on the west.com.au and um, your mum will see you back in court on Monday. Tim, we'll see you both back in court on Monday. That brings us to an end of uh, the end of week 11 of the trial. So Monday, that's day 51. It'll be a slightly longer sitting than usual. Is that right? Yes, we think so. So um, there's been some new evidence that's been asked to be adduced by the prosecution, which um, this just... Uh, a couple of other forensic witnesses just to tie up a few loose ends there um, and one of those is again from the UK so uh, a, a, a room will be being booked over the weekend we're going to start at normal time have a longer break and then go a little bit longer into the night she's another FSS person who worked on the um, on these crucial low copy number runs so um, she will give her evidence and then we think possibly later in the week we might get to some of the police officers that had to be deferred yesterday um, but Miss Barbara Gallo said we've got at least another two weeks, two of, DNA weeks of DNA, DNA, DNA yeah. evidence to come which the bulk of which you would think would be Dr Whitaker, um, the, the the boss man in uh, FSS then we might have a little break we think um, there was there was some um, talk from Mr Jovic over the last couple of days that he might need a couple of days just to get all his ducks in a row before the fibre evidence begins in earnest um, but we so we're looking then maybe in the second week of March that might get up and going um, in full effect that's going to go for uh, a, a, a weeks um, if not over a month I would have thought um, and then um, and then we get into um, DNA probabilities um, there'll be some uh, some other things and then the investigation itself so that's when we think we will start to hear from some of the most senior and long-serving macro investigators and we've also been told at the very last um, piece of evidence we will see will be Mr Edwards's um, six and a half hour interview with police um, 
which will be the first time that we've ever heard anything said by him in public about these allegations against him. So like the prosecutors, you mean we're, we're all in a guessing game as to what's coming up next? It is a little bit. <laughs> we're getting a little bit of a roadmap and feeling our way. But um, as we've seen this week, um, speed humps do hit, road you know roadblocks do occur. Um, and it was day 50 today and it was it was it was pretty underwhelming to be honest <laughs> just to get a few witnesses read in but um, but yeah it it it, uh, it, it rolls on and uh, and rolls on and rolls on as justice hall said yesterday it's a very difficult case mm. Mm. and a very long time mm. yes <laughs> well we will have all those details for you we hope we can have your company next week for Claremont conversation until then have a good weekend This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog. Watch the nightly news updates and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.